Hey, this is Achieve Great Things. This is Season 2, Episode 2. This is your host, RJ. This week we talked to Lene Erickson-Hatulski, who's a VP at Third Way. We talked to her back in May of last year, and um, we're getting an update from her on on sort of what, what her take is on, on where we're going as communicators and, and on the political and advocacy front. One really interesting thing um, that, that they've been doing over the past year or so is, is what they call district visits. They've been spending time in um, different areas of the country and, and getting input from ordinary people um, about their sort of situations and, and what they're looking for from Washington and, and you know government and all that. One of the things I found really fascinating about these kinds of discussions is just that there's so much to learn. Um, I'll put a link in the show notes, but Third Way has um, tons and tons of data and information reading out from the seven different um, areas that they spent time in talking to people. So if you're interested in that and seeing what normal Americans are thinking about politics and the economy and things like that, um, this should be really interesting to you. And Lene also leaves us with a little bit of advice on how to communicate with Americans that we might not all already or, or automatically be connecting with. Um, we also talk a tiny bit about guns and about immigration because she works on both those issues and of course there's a lot of been there's been a lot of movement on those issues recently and we end on a, a bit of a hopeful note in terms of the gun debate potentially changing. So we appreciate you listening. We hope you enjoy this conversation with Lene. Um, please Send us tweets at HadawayCom. Send us emails at podcast at Hadaway.com. Um, message us on Facebook. Whatever's easiest for you, we want to hear what you think and, and hope you're enjoying this season two. And as I said in the first episode, we're going to sort of take a different approach this this year and really try to think about, first of all, what did we learn? What have we learned over the past um, year in terms of communications for impact and, and sort of progressive communications broadly? And then later on in the year, we're going to turn towards, so what do we do now? What do we do in 2018? So we hope it'll be educational and interesting and maybe fun um, for you. So thanks for listening, and um, we'll catch you next time. Appreciate your support. All right, I'm here with Lene Erickson-Hatulski, who's a VP at Third Way. Um, Lene joined us last year to talk about... um, sort of what she saw for 2017 and beyond and we had a good conversation and thought it would be worth revisiting because Lene you talked a lot about wanting to listen and wanting to learn more about what people were thinking and I know you all have done a ton of that so we want to kind of dig into that a little bit. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah um, so when where we left off in May of 2017 was we talked about the importance of listening to people the importance of not drawing conclusions about people's political affiliations or whatever, um, and the fact that Third Way was about to embark on this sort of listening tour, um, and I know you've done a ton of listening so far. Can you tell our listeners just a little bit about how that was set up and, and how that evolved? Yeah, we started this project last year because we realized that uh, we, we weren't as in touch with what was going on throughout the country as we perhaps thought we were after we saw the election results. Um, and wanted to really understand what was going on in different communities. And so we um, isolated places that had either voted for Donald Trump and uh, Democrat in Congress or for uh, Hillary Clinton and a Republican in Congress. Mm -hmm. So in some way they had split their ticket and wanted to go just spend some time in those places and see if there were uh, things that we could learn about what was happening there and things that connected them to each other. 
And so we went to um, we went to the Quad Cities in Illinois. We went to La Crosse, Wisconsin. We went to uh, the border in Texas. We went to Miami. We went to uh, Tucson, Arizona. We went to New Hampshire, and then we went to Detroit. And wow. we've done seven visits that each take about two weeks. So the first week, uh, several of us go and meet with community leaders. So about eight or nine community leaders from business, from labor, from faith, from uh, different uh, parts of civil society, and just ask them questions about their, their lives and their communities. And then we come back two weeks later and they bring other people together in group conversations nice. with folks that they think would add to our perception about their community. So it was a very time intensive process, but it was also um, probably my favorite thing I've done all year long. Cool. That's awesome. Um, and I want to talk a little bit about the, the learning um, did you, I guess, first of all, the, it sounds like it was a, a very thoroughly planned and considered process for these different waves of conversations. Did it all play out how you expected it to? Or were there like big surprises, not in terms of substance, but just in terms of like the project itself? I think that we were all concerned that we were going to have trouble getting people to talk to us. And we forget that people really like to be asked what they think. And so we didn't have that problem at all. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> if, if anything, our schedules were packed and, mm -hmm. and people said, oh, there's other people you should talk to. Um, so it, I think we were a little skeptical that we could, you know, come in and just say, tell us about your life and your lives and your community and get as rich a response as we did. But we did in every single place from people that were not political, you know, mm -hmm. were not... Um, uh, activists in any way mm -hmm. and they all just they would end the conversation by saying thank you so much for coming nice. and thank you for listening to me I feel like no one in DC cares what I think and you're asking yeah that's great so so in that way it was really fulfilling for you all yeah. just to know that people you were actually doing something that, that people wanted um, and substance wise I know we can link to um, the website where there's lots of more detailed findings by location right and, yes. and yeah so that's that's awesome but I guess just give people a little bit of a preview what are some of the biggest things you've learned maybe the most interesting things from your perspective yeah I think there were a couple of real threads that came through one was DC is in such a bubble mm -hmm. and every single time we went out to talk to someone I would be reminded yet again how disconnected the conversation in DC is from the one that is operating in their their day-to-day -day lives that was true in every single place mm. we even when something crazy was happening in DC and Donald Trump was doing something insane which was almost always <laughs> basically every day every day yeah. so we had a lot of uh, sample size but and our our Twitter feeds and our um, discussion on email would be obsessed with whatever that thing was. Nobody would bring it up, and unless we directly asked, "What do you think about Donald Trump or mm -hmm. Congress?" Nobody brought it up. It was just completely irrelevant, and that was a real reminder. There was one point at which uh, our national security VP said to me, "Well, you know, was there a difference between when the thing happened with Sessions and then and then there was, you know, then there was another one and that how people felt about Russia?" And I was like, "No, mm -hmm. they they don't they know about don't, either of those yeah, things. They don't care." care. <laughs> so it's interesting because a lot of our conversations we had on this podcast last year, where we were sort of looking back on 2016. I think we, as communicators, were all understand that we shouldn't be 
um, set off by the latest tweet or the, you know, even and for organizations that are trying to push proactive agendas, you shouldn't get caught up in the back and forth because it actually distracts from what you're trying to do. So it seems like what you learned kind of proves that out in that people really want to hear um, or people don't get caught up in the day-to-day in their normal lives, right? That's exactly right. And and they're thinking about, you know, um, they're thinking about how to pay the bills that they have, how to um, make a better life for their children, how to take care of all the obligations that they have from day-to-day. And maybe they, you know, watch the news or see something happening, but it doesn't feel like it touches them. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and that, that was kind of independent from what it was that Congress was talking about at that point. They they just didn't feel like there was a whole lot of relevance between what was going on in D.C. and what, what would affect their lives. What, um, what, what were they concerned about? Yeah. So I think the biggest thing that they were concerned about was this um, idea that uh, their... The economy is changing, and um, they they didn't feel confident that they or their children knew how to necessarily earn a good life mm-hmm. in in this new economy. And that was also a really clear red thread, no matter where we went, mm-hmm. whether it was the suburbs of Miami or um, you know or La Crosse, Wisconsin, um, or the border in Texas. You know, people realize that things are changing, and they don't. They don't feel equipped. They don't feel that um, that they're sure that they're going to have the opportunity to earn a good life mm-hmm. in the way that that they want to, um, and that I think was super distinct from um, another way that Democrats often um, and, and progressives talk about the economic struggles that people have. So. I had kind of this light bulb moment because the third trip we did was in Miami and that mm-hmm. was the first one I went on. The first two were in the Midwest. I'm from the Midwest. Yeah. So I think they decided you've already won a show choir tournament there. You understand that, that place. Um, but the, uh, but what we hadn't heard in the first two trips from a single person was the word income inequality. No one used that phrase. No one talked about, you know, concentration of wealth or super wealthy people. And then we got to Miami and I heard it everywhere. Hmm. And I was like, what's going on? Yeah. And everybody talks about it. And then I realized that if you're in this super urban environment, especially in a place like Miami, you see Madonna's house on Star Island mm-hmm. next to Little Haiti. Mm-hmm. And you feel like there's something wrong here. Mm-hmm. But that experience is not the experience of most people in this country. Yeah. In fact, almost all the billionaires live in four states in very concentrated mm-hmm. places. Mm-hmm. And so if you were in the Quad Cities of Illinois, you know, where or where I grew up, where I grew up, the rich person was the pediatrician. Yeah. And he had an outdoor pool, yeah. you know, and that was a really big deal. Yeah. But the, it's just not in your face in that mm-hmm. way. So that isn't how they describe what's their economic problem is mm-hmm. that they're suffering. They don't see that as the, the cause of the fact that they are struggling to, um, you know, kind of feel like they're um, in economic quicksand, yeah. like they could lose it at any moment. Um, but but in in a super urban place, it you know it feels like that that concentration of wealth is is much more evident and and kind of morally you know frustrating. So I think talking about kind of the opportunity to earn a good life and um, and the concentration of opportunity mm-hmm. that has been created by the um, by the new economy that there's certain people if you live in certain places or you have the certain right kinds of degrees or skills you're doing pretty well mm-hmm. but lots of other people aren't 
um, and that opportunity has been concentrated, that is, we think, a more effective way to communicate with people because then you can talk about how do we spread the opportunity that has been created to more people and more places throughout the country. Was there a big focus on technology specifically as like a, a concern in the in the thread of the yeah, future? I think people see it both as concerning and as an opportunity. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, it and there's a, a bit of an age gap on that. So you know when you talk to people who are um, kind of the, the age the age break was at about fifty, mm-hmm. and um, people below fifty could articulate how technology um, might actually give them more opportunities mm-hmm. in this economy and um, and have improved things while they could also say that there were some things that uh, they were worried about. The over 50 set had a harder time talking about any kind of positive changes mm-hmm. that had come from technology, in particular the men. Mm-hmm. Uh, the women mm-hmm. usually could, but the, the men had a, a difficult time. Um, but when we have asked people, and, and we did some public opinion research um, over the past year that proved this as well, we asked people to kind of pinpoint what is the one thing that's caused this. Mm-hmm. They say it's not one thing, it's lots of things. Mm. It's, you know, it's globalization, it's trade, it's, um, you know, the world becoming smaller and technology is a part of that. It's, um, you know, it's lots of different forces and they kind of resist the urge to like, define it as just simply one thing um but i don't think they're you know most most of those folks are not like working in a factory that they are going to get replaced by a robot you know they don't see it as directly as that yeah it's just that things are shifting very quickly now and change is happening at such a faster pace than it was before that they feel just a little destabilized yeah well to what you said before men have a harder time understanding most things I think that's part of the <laughs> problem with where we are in the world but um, in terms of the the kind of uh, future I guess what do they want from from government or yeah. from us in this bubble in DC or from you know anyone who's kind of working on specific issues like were there themes that kind of emerged in that way yeah definitely and there's um, you know one was that um, no matter where we went, everybody loved where they lived. They talked about mm-hmm. how great it was to live where they live and why they chose that place. Mm. And or maybe they didn't choose it, and you know they had grown up there all their lives. But they would just wax poetic about how great the place was that they lived and how proud they were of that. And um, and so they don't want to be told that they have to go somewhere else mm-hmm. in order to. Mm-hmm make it in the economy to have the life that they want. Um, and I think that especially folks who are, you know, uh, kind of in the more elite or in the urban elite in Mm -hmm. particular might say like, well, those towns are dying. So just like move. (laughs) And, And that's, that's really difficult for people to hear. They like the place that they live. And, um, when I was just in Detroit, I was talking to one of the, um, one of the city managers and he said that they're like city managers motto for the state city managers, uh, state association of city managers in Michigan, uh, is, uh, we love where you live. Hmm. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's the opposite message Mm -hmm. to what they often hear from elites. Um, so I think that that was really clear that they they don't want to be told like just pick up and move somewhere yeah. else where the opportunity lies. 
there's an article in the New Yorker, I guess, in last November about this place called Orange City, Iowa. It was mm-hmm. it was a Dutch sort of um, town from the start, but it has like one of the highest percentages of, of civic engagement and all that, but also like people who don't really ever move away. Uh-huh. And it tells like mm-hmm. stories of people who had grown up taking over family businesses, which mm-hmm. is one of the main ways that people, you know, move up in the in the in the town, but also yeah. people who move to New York for school mm-hmm. or, or San Francisco or whatever and then move back to this small community. Yeah. And it made me think that, you know, that's something that we, as you said, like we being elites, but elites generally, like it's just something that people look down upon, right? Yeah. Like there it and it does like to me personally seems kind of boring to live in a really tiny place. But <laughs> yeah. like for for a lot of people that's like that is the way that they know and live, right? Yeah, and and that they enjoy and they can articulate all the great things about that place. So um, that that was super clear and and I think is a caution for mm-hmm. um, you know the, the kind of bemoaning of the dying of you know major parts of our country because yeah. they don't feel like they're dying. Right. They feel like they're um, you know, that they, they need some help, but yeah. that, that, you know, they're not dying and they, and they don't want to go anywhere. So what was, the, I have a couple of follow-ups on that, mm-hmm. but just quickly, like, what was the most interesting regional mm-hmm. anomaly or difference that you saw from all these different places? I mean, it sounds like there was a lot of similarities, but mm-hmm. you mentioned the Miami story about economic inequality. Were mm-hmm. there other examples like that of things that were just different from everywhere else? Yeah, there was, um, so there were a lot of differences in how race played out Mm -hmm. in the conversations. Mm -hmm. Um, Super different in Miami, super Mm -hmm. different in Tucson, super different in Detroit, Mm -hmm. uh, super different in New Hampshire, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, uh, but it was that, it was pretty striking because Mm -hmm. it came up a lot, Mm -hmm. but always in a, with a slightly different tone or veneer Mm -hmm. You know the the conversations in Detroit were were very difficult about mm-hmm. that, and, mm-hmm. and and it and it wasn't new, right? It was right. Um, feeling that there uh, were was some some very old and entrenched racism that is still uh, driving decision making mm-hmm. in Detroit, and mm-hmm. um, both uh, in with members of the public and with policymakers, and um, and that felt difficult and kind of stuck because mm-hmm. it had been that way for such a long time. Whereas, you know, in, in Miami and, and in Tucson, I think things were, um, there, there was kind of a, an embrace of, uh, the diversity and, and like it, they felt that it was a positive addition to their community. Mm-hmm. Um, no matter who you talk to that it was much less of an issue. It came up, but almost always in a positive way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they would say things like, you know, well, we're where America's going to be yeah. in 20 years. And so we're kind of leading the way for how to, how to navigate that. Yeah. And that, that felt really different mm-hmm. than, than Detroit. Um, and then I think New Hampshire was just, um, I think, one of the, the toughest places, mm-hmm. um, which I hadn't anticipated because it um, the opioid crisis is just so bad. Mm-hmm. It's so bad. One in 10 people in New Hampshire are addicted to opioids. That's crazy. And they can't fill jobs. They can't fill training programs for jobs that are $70,000 a year as soon as you start the training program because you can't find somebody who can pass the drug test. 
So that was, you know, when, when going to, um, you know, Detroit or the border in Texas or other places feels so much more hopeful than mm-hmm. New Hampshire. That mm-hmm. was something that really surprised me. So you all were criticized a little bit for this, like, we all said that we wanted to listen and learn, and then you all were criticized, like, political tourism, I think was one of the phrases of, like, going out and seeing regular Americans as a, like, sociological experiment or whatever. I mean, is that, did that cross your mind? Did it feel, did you feel out of place? And do you feel like those criticisms were, like, unfounded? Or did you feel a little bit like you were actually kind of a... (laughs) looking at them as an experiment. Um, No, I think uh, we thought a lot about that before Mm -hmm. and tried to make sure that we um, were approaching, um, you know, we're approaching this not from a discovery channel type Mm -hmm. attitude. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That that was how we described it. Um, But, uh, but I think, you know, we do lots of different kinds of qualitative research always. Mm -hmm. And this certainly wasn't the only thing we were doing. Um, But the difference here was we weren't behind glass. Yeah. We were just actually having a conversation with people. And um, that to me felt a little bit less uh, sociological (laughs) than the kind of traditional focus groups that we often do. Um, It also, you know, it also means qualitative research. You always, you hear based on what, you know, what your perceptions are. Everyone has a different experience of that. And so um, the reporter who embedded with us was only there for half of the trip that we did. So, mm-hmm. you know, that I, we were there for a lot longer than she was. Um, but she had her experience of those conversations and, and we had mm-hmm. ours. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's not um, super uncommon when you watch qualitative research yeah. together, you end up in different places. Um, but I think the thing she was um, surprised about was um, or that kind of she differed on from us was this level of anger and like is there an anger or resentment out there and we didn't feel that there was mostly because we weren't asking people about DC mm-hmm. we were asking people about their lives and their communities mm-hmm. I have mm-hmm. no doubt that if we asked them like how much do you like Congress like they would have you know <laughs> spewed vitriol yeah. all over the place but, but it wasn't because we were trying to avoid that it was because we know what they think about Congress. Yeah, right. <laughs> We're trying to get some other information. So that's fair. Yeah. yeah. So I, I do think, you know, there's uh, there's a always a risk if you go into a community that you seem like a voyeur. Yeah. And that you have to be really careful about that. But um, you know, we used a, a presidential campaign advance team like to do this so that we weren't just yeah. going in and knocking on random people's doors yeah. and felt like we did it in a respectful way and um, that it it gave um, us a a huge window into you know what's really going on across the country in a way that we just couldn't get around our think tank conference table. Yeah, yeah. So this season of, of this podcast, we want to focus on um, both what we learned in 2017 and some of the advances and victories that we had um, in contrast to 2016, but then also what we can do about it. And I'm curious just. For people who are listening, who are communicators for advocacy organizations or foundations or other mission-driven organizations, what what do people want to hear about? How can how can we communicate with a broader um, audience of Americans who care about the issues we care about but might not be hearing them in the same way? I think that most people want to hear what we're for and not just what we're against, mm-hmm. and that they already know what they think about Donald Trump and <laughs> and they 
and they're not that interested in talking that much more about it yeah. um, because they already know what they think about him. And but he's already all over their local news. He's and everywhere. He's and just like, everywhere. They, just, they don't want more of it. They don't need more. And um, but they do. But you know, so kind of being anti-Trump isn't enough. Mm-hmm. And articulating a vision of where we want to go with this country, whether that's on immigration and the dreamers or whether that's on guns mm-hmm. or whether that's on um you know on the economy and, and building a robust middle class that feels much more strong um that that's what they want to hear about mm-hmm. is like okay where are you trying to take us and and how are you going to get there um not just you know what do you hate the most and yeah. what makes you the most mad it's <laughs> a really good lesson we talked a lot last season to guests about not getting caught up in the day-to-day of tweets and yeah. responding to things and also using not using the negative aspects of what trump or someone else does to try and you know gain support because it's just not as motivating right as, as as painting a picture of the future where you want to be yeah um so we looking forward i know you mentioned you work on both immigration and guns yeah. um where do you, do you feel like we're in a different place than we were when we talked almost a year ago in terms of uh, people being engaged and people paying attention and making progress on the issues we care about, or is it is it part of the same cycle? I don't know. I'm just curious about where you yeah. think we are as a kind of progressive community. I think that we've made a lot of progress on immigration over the past year, even though that's not true in Congress. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I think if you look back um, in in 2010 there was a vote on the DREAM Act, and a bunch of Democratic senators voted against it. Mm -hmm. That's insane, like, based on where we are now, right? And so I think the stories of the DREAMers, like, um, I was actually sitting in a cafe in suburban Michigan, and it was one of the days that, um, in suburban Detroit, it was one of the days that uh, things were happening on immigration in the Senate, and someone was talking about DREAMers at the next table. And they knew what dreamers was, mm-hmm. and I just don't think that that w- that word would have permeated back yeah. then. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I feel like the immigration movement has done an incredibly good job of putting stories and faces mm-hmm. on um, the people that we're talking about. Yep. Kind of similarly to what happened with the LGBT movement, and yep. change the perception of who it is that we're talking about. Yeah, that's a and, good point. And that is incredibly powerful. So now you know some person at the next table is talking about dreamers and can explain what that is yep. you know and can put a human face to it and that right. and then that's who they think of when not, not criminals trying to jump over a exactly. big wall or whatever yeah or under the fence so it's uh, that i think has has come a long way and and it will accrue then to the benefit of other people beyond mm-hmm. dreamers and the dreamers have been insistent about that like these are my parents these yep. are um this is my family members i'm in a mixed status family so that it's not just them as the um you know as the privileged uh like the good immigrants and everyone else is bad. Um, I think they've they've tried yeah. to expand those stories and faces in a way that's been really effective. So I want to let you get back to your job because I know you have a lot to wrap up before you get to actually take a vacation, yeah. which is I'm sure well deserved. Um, do you think it was the right decision for Democrats in the Senate to kind of push, you know, for the DACA compromise and and not give in to the you know, wall funding and all that. Like, do you think that's going to affect either the outcome of, of that issue or elections at all or in either way? I think that the immigration debate right now is um, 
mostly going to affect elections um, not with swing voters. Mm-hmm. That there are um, there's obviously a hardcore Trump base that cares about basically only that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's a and there is a increasingly active um, base of people on the left and throughout the Latino community mm-hmm. that feel that this these attacks have not just been on immigrants but on Latinos writ large that they've been very racialized mm-hmm. and um, so I think that we will hopefully see a real uptick in um, political engagement amongst mm-hmm. that group in the same way that we did after you know the sense and Brunner bill and other things in, in 2006 when there were just you know horrible attacks in English only and we're gonna jail people who help in any undocumented immigrant you know that that spurred a wave of activism and voter registration and, and engagement with the Latino community and that that could happen here too. Mm-hmm. I don't think swing voters are paying enough attention to it, mm-hmm. and it's going to be there's going to be four thousand scandals between now and then. Yeah. They're going to remember the details of the back and forth, but um, boy, it's pretty clear to me that Donald Trump did not want a deal because the things that Democrats were willing to yeah. agree to, yeah. they gave him something on every single thing, mm-hmm. yeah. and then they just walked just away. Yeah. So I don't know how you could criticize the Democrats for not trying to find a, a solution on this when you look at what was actually on the table yeah. they agreed to way more concessions than I thought yeah. that they would they would do because they know that th- these are lives of, of real people on the line and and the Trump administration just walked away and yeah. said no thank you so um, I, I don't think that'll have a huge impact with with the swing folks so much as the base but um, but it may really spur some energy amongst the Latino community mm-hmm. that I think will not accrue well to Trump. <laughs> yeah. So last question is in the wake of the latest of many, many shootings, like is the, is maybe we can end on a hopeful note. Is this changing? Like, do you feel like the, no. the conversation about gun, gun control and guns is changing? I feel like it changed last night. Mm-hmm. Um, I had hope last night for a moment in a, a time that I haven't had hope about this issue for a long time mm-hmm. since since the failure to do something after Sandy Hook where I worked every single day with the with the Sandy Hook parents trying to pass background checks in the wake of that mm-hmm. massacre and then Congress did nothing. Yeah. Um, I've been, you know, basically just jaded since then. Mm-hmm. And last mm-hmm. night I felt like, wow, people are having to answer for their what they're doing. And the um, thing that, that made me feel like something is changing even though I don't think we're going to get some massive you know mm-hmm, <laughs> uh, package passed through uh, all Republican Congress is that the Republicans now feel like they have to look like they did something mm-hmm. and even if it's small they might do something where they're giving a little funding for training for teachers or mm-hmm. you know um, police officers in schools or something like that um, or small fixes to the NICS system or they ban bump stocks or something that, that you know isn't to scale with what we need yeah. but they can say they did something that's a change Mm -hmm. after pulse they didn't feel like they had to even look like they did anything they sat there and said nope 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 even to you know not letting people on the no fly list buy a gun like there was a terrorism angle still and they and they wouldn't do it so you know their complete lack of uh you know political pressure in that circumstance feels really different than right now. I feel like they at least feel like they have the heat on them. Mm-hmm. And that in and of itself is is a shift in the politics around guns in, yeah. a, in a way that hopefully leads to a lot more. Awesome. Well, we'll end there and let you get back to your job. But thank you so much for, 
for spending the time with us. We'll link to the the kind of full learning from from the district visits you've been doing. It's really fascinating. I feel like we could talk about it all day, but glad people got a little bit of a taste and they can read more, yeah. read more on the website. So thank you. Great. Thank you very much. Thanks for tuning in to Achieve Great Things. Reach out to us on Twitter at HadawayCom, on Facebook at facebook.com slash Hadaway Communications, or email us at podcast at Hadaway.com. We appreciate your support, and please keep the feedback and comments coming. Until next time, thanks again.